Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Amen. God is good today. Who's excited? If you're excited, let's get fired up one last time. Who's excited to be at church on a Sunday morning, New Year's Eve? You could be doing anything, and you decide to come to church. So I thank you, and I appreciate you guys being here today. I know the Lord appreciates it. It's honoring, it's honoring the one who gave you life to come to church and to bless him, to bring your family to church. It's really honoring the Lord. So tonight we invite you. Obviously, you've been invited multiple times so far. But 6 p.m. tonight, it's going to be a fantastic show. I think this is Pastor Justin's favorite service of the year. He loves it. He loves this service. This, this, uh, par- he likes party. Anything to do with parties or anything like that. This guy is, he's going to be, you know, doing some of his stuff and all that, whatever. I can't do it. He can, he can do it. I know that I look like I'm about to rope a cattle today, but uh, it was cold, and I just threw this on, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to preach, all right? So here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 21. Uh, that's going to be our text for the day. It's actually, you know what, I'm going to say that Romans 12, 2 is our text, but this is sort of the backstory of our text, and it's a story that you've heard. Ironically, I'm not teaching on this story, but I'm using this story to illustrate a very important point about today that I'm going to ask you to really think in this message about your life. Think in this message about what God is speaking to you about your personal life. Do not use this message as an opportunity to tell your saying, boy, I really wish Bill was here today. Bill needs to hear this. Look at someone next to you say, I need to hear this. This is not for Bill. This, if your name is Bill, it's for you. But this is for you. This message is for you. It's for me. This message is for me. So personalize everything that's being said today if you want to get the greatest value out of leaving 2023, going into 24 with the right spirit, the right attitude in your faith. So here's the story. Jesus tells a story about a man who has two sons. I'm going to tell it as if you've never heard it before. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two of them. So the youngest one asks for his entire inheritance. Uh, As a young guy, that's a crazy request. So basically he's getting half, got two sons, getting half of his father's fortune to go out and spend it however he wants to spend it. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country. Somebody say distant country. So he's leaving everything he's comfortable with, going away from everything that he knows is right, going into a far off land, getting away from the way he was raised, getting away from the principles, the values that he was instilled with from a young child. And then here we go in verse 14, or verse 13, it says, uh, set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. This is what sin gets you, right? You squander, you waste every good thing that has been earned, every good thing. And it's interesting too, especially if you grow up in a Christian home, in a Christian household, or with godly leaders who pray for you and and speak blessing over your life, you grow up under a hedge of protection that you didn't even know didn't come from you. It came from, there's a lot of praying grandmas that are responsible for the blessing that you're walking around, strutting around, enjoying. There's some praying grandmas that did spiritual warfare on your behalf that set the tone for you to be able to have the favor in your life. Can somebody give the Lord a hand clap or a praise today if you're awake? You came to church. Might as well get into it. That hedge of protection 
that he was raised under, the blessing that didn't come from him, it came from his father, and he goes out and he wastes it. He squanders it with wild living. And it says, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, he began to be in need. Now his needs are apparent. Now he realizes that we can numb our problems, we can numb what's really wrong with us, by wild living and we can buy ourselves time. We can buy ourselves time uh, by sedating ourselves in relationships, by, by stimulating ourselves through drug abuse, alcohol abuse. We, can, we, can, we find that we can buy ourselves time by using social media as a platform to boost our confidence. But I got news for you. All of those things are gonna eventually run out and you're gonna be staring in a mirror at a person that you don't know. At what point in our life are we gonna realize that we need to sober up from all the things in the world that numb the truth of what we're dealing with? That's why the Bible talks about having a sober mind. A sober mind is not simply just not taking drugs or not drinking alcohol. A sober mind is thinking actually about what's happening in your life, actually about what your problems are, that's why Drug abuse, alcohol abuse, relationships, anything that becomes intoxicating in our life that even temporarily puts off the truth of what we're feeling is completely destructive to God's plan for our life. We need to be sober-minded about what we're dealing with. Don't go into 2023 numb, living in a far-off land before you spend all that you have and wind up in a pig pen, just like this guy did, when he realized that he has needs. Somebody say, I have needs. You have needs in your life, actual needs. If cigarettes or vaping or whatever it is that temporarily gets you to the next moment or overeating, overindulgence, whatever it might be, that gets you from one moment to the next without having to deal with the difficult answers that you know are inside you about yourself. He realizes he's in need, and it says that he hires himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feel, to his fields to feed pigs. So you go from being like the prince of the castle to, to feeding pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He couldn't even get pig food. And it says, when he came to his senses, praise the Lord, look at someone next to you and say, come to your senses. Man, there needs to, there needs to come a moment in our life. I've got, I'll just submit this to you right now. It can be today. Today can be the day in your life where you come to your senses by the Spirit of God. You come to your senses and you realize all the things that I have been searching for, all the areas of my life that I have been numbing the truth and delaying that moment where I really have to look in the mirror at somebody who I can't blame anybody else for. I've gotta take personal responsibility for the things that have happened in my life, the way I've responded to them. I've gotta take personal responsibility for the way that I treat people because I serve a God 
who is the judge. He is the ultimate judge. And the Bible tells us that we will give an account of every single thought, every single word, every single deed that we have spoken, that we've experienced in this life. We will give a personal account to God. He will say, why did you do that? And he will not accept any answer. Well, look what they did to me. He said, he'll say, no. What's the answer? I did it because I wanted to. That's the right answer. Now, here's what you're punished for that. Here's what you lose for that. Even as a Christian, even as a believer, even as someone who will go to heaven, it literally, the Bible talks about loss of reward, of eternal reward. Imagine if I were to tell you that there's a penalty, you're gonna get, be able to continue to live life in America, but instantly you're gonna have a penalty. You'll be able to earn $10 less for the rest of your life and you will never ever be able to get that back, that $10 for the rest of your life. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be to know that you would never be able to earn more than that you would have a loss of reward. I'm, I'm not saying that's exactly how it is, but that gives you a picture of what eternal loss of reward. It's not like in heaven, there's gonna be some good behavior where we can earn back the things that we've lost in this life. This is the test. This is the place where we are accountable and we posture ourselves eternally by how we live now. So the stakes are monumentally high. There is no excuse of, well, I was 13, I was 14, I thought I was just having fun. There is absolutely no excuse that will suffice in the presence of the Almighty God. I'm telling you today, come to your senses. Come to your senses, realize where you are. He said to himself in this moment, he goes, what am I doing? Why am I living this way? My father's servants have it better than I do. I'm here starving to death. He's, here's what he says is the answer. In verse 17, I said, I'll go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's what it takes today. It takes the realization, the personal revelation that you have sinned. Not I made a mistake. We love, to, we love to veil the truth in, in very wordy language, don't we? I didn't know what I was doing. I, I just kind of made an error. You sinned. And until we come to a place in our life where we admit sinfulness in our life, we will never find a solution. But he says, my solution, I'll go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So basically what he's saying is, I don't even want what I had before. I'll be demoted. Just let me back in the house. <laughs> Just let me, let me come back home. I don't even have to have my old room back. Just let, let me have, let me just be back in this world again. I, I went to that far off land. It's not working. It's not right. It's not the way I was raised. It's not who I am. I made a mistake. Isn't repentance powerful? So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Aren't you glad that we've got a father that loves to see us restored to him again? We can just come back at any time and say, Father, I've sinned. God doesn't say, no, well, hold on, stay over there. Are you serious? Don't come any closer. No, are you serious? No, no, he runs toward us. I've sinned against heaven, against you. 
and I'm no longer to be called your son. That's what he said. Now, here is what I want to inject in this idea. So we've just looked at how to respond when you realize that you have faults in your life that, are, that have not been confronted because you, you, you've possibly used language or ideas that other people have given you to justify certain things in your life rather than just simply pointing them out for what it is. I got news for you. If, if you don't like the way someone talks to you and they're triggering you, this is what you're saying about yourself. Can I just tell you what your problem is? Your problem is you have an anger problem. That's okay to have an anger problem. It's okay to say, I have an anger problem. What you're basically saying is, I get angry when you say this, so I'm not responsible for what I say when you say this. That's actually not true with God. We are very responsible for every reaction that we have to someone else. We have a mandate from heaven to live peaceably. We have a mandate from heaven to live with kindness, with goodness. It doesn't mean that we always have to be walked upon, but it doesn't ever give us an excuse to behave in a sinful manner. Can someone say amen today? So this is very important for us to understand. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, do not conform to the pattern of the world. What is the pattern of the world? Coming up with excuses to justify all of our sinful behavior. That is the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world is justifying any feelings that we have and trying to find other people that also have reasons for the same feelings that we have and that we join their group. So we can form a, a Facebook page. Now we've got a support group around us that are supporting us for our improper, unbiblical behavior. But instead, why don't we just read Romans 12 too? Do not conform, and, and again, in Jesus' verse, Jesus always, I like talking about this, this word conform is like, you know, for, for those of you that are, that are older, some of you young guys, you might not even know this, but back in the old days, when you, when you had to make ice at home, you had this thing called an ice tray. You didn't have that little button. You didn't have that little button. We got a button now, you press it, ice falls out of it. In the old days, you had to make that ice. And how did you make the ice? You had to take the ice tray over to the sink. And it had this little thing with all these, these shapes of ice cubes and you put it like this and you, you, you walk like this all the way over the room. You try not to spill anything. You stick that thing in the freezer and then that thing freezes and eventually you dump them out and you got some ice. That, what it, the water is conformed. That's the word that is used in the Greek. It is conformed to the pattern of the ice tray. And it forms little ice cubes because it's conformed. And what the Bible is telling us here is don't be conformed to the pattern of sinfulness that the world produces. But instead, be transformed. That means go from one form to a brand new form, not becoming like one thing, but something that is completely brand new, where I take what you are and I make it something brand new, not conform to something else. Be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Look at someone next to you say, renew your mind now. Come on, type that in the chat right there if you're watching online. Say, renew your mind now. This is the day. I believe in big days. I think it's important. 
I don't, I, I don't like when I meet people that don't celebrate days. You say days are not important. I think days are important. I think New Year's Eve is important. I think New Year's Day is important. I think the Super Bowl is very important. I hope the Cowboys are in it this year. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I think days are important. So I think this is a very important day for you and me to renew our minds. Why do we renew our minds? We renew our minds because Romans tells us, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Who wants to walk in the perfect will of God next year in 2024? Come on, give God a praise if that's you today. I'm gonna, before I pray, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, come on, tell him, say neighbor. Say, tell the devil I changed my mind. Come on, somebody give God a praise here today. Say, tell the devil I changed my mind. That's the name of the message today. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. That's what it takes today. It's going to take somebody to change their mind. If we're ever, ever going to have change in our family, if we're ever going to have change in our church, in our community, in our business, then somebody's got to change their mind. That man that was off in that field, he changed his mind. And you got to tell the devil, I changed my mind. Mind. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name today, your favor, your blessing on this message. Encourage us, lift us up today. Allow this message to be inspired completely and totally by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name that we would relinquish control of every circumstance to you, Lord, in every area of our life. Submit our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Anybody ever played the lottery before? But you're in church. You better be careful. Raise your hand if you ever played the lottery. You got to tell, tell the truth and stay in the church. That's what my dad always told me. The lottery. I'm not a big lottery player. Um, never really played it, you know, growing up or anything like that. We kind of had a very conservative, you know, the, the organization we came from. You didn't do, do anything like that. So I remember when I got like about 18 or 19, um, the lottery, isn't it absurd how big, how, how big the lottery gets sometimes? You ever notice that? It's like, it's 1.2 billion, really? And so it's like, but people want to start playing when it gets to 1.2 billion. They're like, I don't need 100 million, but 1.2 billion. Yeah. Could buy a small island with that, you know. It's like, I don't know what the logic is, but I guess I was one of those people. I had, you know, just seeing everyone start jumping on board with it. So anyways, I'm in this convenience store. I'm like 18 or 19 years old. Never, never played a lottery or anything in my life. So I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, I think I'm probably getting a, a, a Diet Mountain Dew, the nectar of heaven or something like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting in line. And then all of a sudden, I look in front of me. And this lady from our church had like 25 lottery tickets. Because she didn't see me, though. She didn't see me, though. So we're, we're like sitting there. We're, we're checking everything out. And so she goes, I'll take this one. I'll take that. Okay, give me five more of those. Give me five more of those. And she turns around. And she sees me. And she goes, <gasps> And, and, and she goes, pa, pa, Pastor, I'm, I'm sorry. And I go, you know what? I hope you don't win. <laughs> she goes, oh, oh, no. And I said, because I hope I do. <laughs> and she was like, oh, my God. That's like the first time I ever played the lot. I was like 19. I, I don't even play anymore, but that's just a story about, I think, I think the reason that I played is like, isn't in your mind when you start thinking about winning all this money or 
being so rich. Like you gotta, maybe that's why people are like, you know, for 100 million, I might have to worry about buying stuff, but a 1.2 billion, I, would, I could buy anything I want as much as I want. I think what that plays into is our desire for control. It's the reason you can't go to 7-Eleven. You have to wait on everyone for lottery tickets all the time. Everybody wants control. You want control. Control is a huge issue in our lives. And most people that confess Jesus as their savior, listen to this, have never truly invited to Jesus to be their Lord. Because what is lordship? It's, it's surrendering control. Lordship is truly surrendering control. It's not about what I think when I have a Lord. It's not about what I want to do when I have a Lord. It's about executing the mandate that I have been given by my Lord. It's about implementing the will of my Lord. And Jesus must be my Lord if he is to be my Savior. So look at someone next to you and say, if Jesus is going to be your Savior, look him in the eyeball, say, then he must be your Lord. It's scary. Have we, have we ever heard the scripture where it says, many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? What does that mean? I'm just gonna tell you straight up what that means. It means that there's a lot of Christians, not just simply Christians that attend church, but preachers and well-known leaders who do huge things, things that appear to be miraculous or might even be miraculous. I'm about to use an example in the Bible of God using an extremely wicked man to accomplish his will. Just because God uses somebody doesn't mean that they are holy. It means God is holy. God uses who he wants to use, but it tells me that there's gonna be a myriad of people that will stand before God thinking that they are Christians, thinking that they are going to heaven, and God will simply look at them and say, I never knew you. You asked me to be your savior, but you never submitted to me as your Lord. The, the, the fruit of the fact that he is your savior is that he is your Lord, right? He becomes your savior when you put your faith in him and the fruit of that, that he is your savior is that he becomes your Lord. If there's a conflict there and you're having trouble submitting to the lordship of Jesus, it must be addressed today. You cannot leave this place without addressing that. It's control. And, and today in this story, the guy that I'm gonna be talking about illustrates to us in his own life something that we should be concerned about, but it also illustrates to us something that we should be concerned about, about the people that he was sent to serve and their behavior consequentially as a result of advice that he gave that negatively affected the whole entire community. Community, Second Peter chapter two, verses 12 through 16, it says this. Peter's talking, he's talking about this certain type of people that we should be aware of. He said, these people are nothing, they're people that are close to the church, that are in the church, sometimes that even lead in the Christian community, people that are Christians, that call themselves Christians. These people are nothing but brute beasts, born in the wild, predators on the prowl, in the very act of bringing down others with their ignorant blasphemies. 
They themselves will be brought down. Losers in the end, their evil will boomerang on them. They're so despicable and addicted to pleasure that they indulge in wild parties, carousing in broad daylight. They're obsessed with adultery, compulsive in sin, seducing every vulnerable soul they come upon. Their specialty is greed and they're experts at it. They're dead souls. They've left the main road and are directionless. Having taken the way of Balaam. Someone say Balaam. Okay, I want you to remember that name for just a second. This is a guy in scripture who is extremely dangerous. And what's crazy about Balaam is he's a very wicked man, but he's not a false prophet. He is an accurate prophet that God uses extreme details through his prophecies that are very, very true, but he's still a wicked person. He's not submitted to the lordship of God. And it's talking about consequences coming down on him. Isn't it interesting that God can use people as vessels that are not even part of the kingdom? I don't want to be one of those people, do you? I want to be a part of God's family. I want to be a part of God's kingdom. I don't want to be just someone that's used for the kingdom. I want to be a part of it a participant in the kingdom. So this guy Balaam, he says, they've left the main road in a directionless, having taken the way of Balaam, some, Balaam, son of Baor, the prophet who turned into a profiteer, a connoisseur, what an insult, a, a connoisseur of evil. This is the message, so this is Eugene Peterson's uh, explanation of what that is, but what is a connoisseur that's a great word. That's someone who's an expert in the world of art. It's saying that evil to them is like art, and they're a connoisseur of evil. These types of people are so evil that they're experts in knowing how to navigate it and make it sound like it's right. Does that sound familiar in culture? we got so many people that speak about evil things all the time, and they make it sound right. They're connoisseurs of evil. It says, but Balaam was stopped in his wayward tracks, a dumb animal, must have been a cat, a dumb animal spoke in a human voice. Oh no, that's not a cat, okay, that's a, that's a donkey. A dumb animal spoke in a human voice and prevented the prophet's craziness. We're gonna get into that story here, just a second. I wanna bring up another verse that talks about Balaam, one of my favorite books. My son is named this, Jude. Uh, it's got one chapter, verse 11. It says, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Who is Balaam? We're, we're gonna continue to find out more about who Balaam is, what Balaam has done. If you don't think it's an important subject, how about where Jesus is talking in Revelation chapter two? John is seeing the heavens seeing a revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus speaking post-resurrection in heaven. And it says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, this is Jesus speaking, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live. This is being written to the church, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Talking to the church, there are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam. Again, we have a New Testament 
reference to this prophet Balaam. I think we better figure out who is this guy? What is his problem? And why is this a modern problem? This is something we're dealing with today because it's continually being mentioned. This might hit closer to home than we realize. He says, I have a few things against you. There are some of you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak, who was the king in this story that we're gonna get into, who, who, who asks Balaam to help him, to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. This is Jesus Christ talking about Balaam and saying that there are people in the church who have submitted to the type of teachings that make their morals so loose that they're willing to do things and participate in things that are completely unholy, degrade the righteousness of Christ, and act like it's okay. So he's referring to two different things, not only the people that do it, but some people who are willing to encourage others to do it for profit. It's scary that you can grow a big church by teaching false doctrine. You might be able to grow a bigger church at times by teaching false doctrine to attract people that will just listen to what your, your ridiculous words say so their ears will tingle. That's what it's talking about. It's saying we live in a world where there's two kinds of people that I'm, I'm warning you about. This is Christ warning us. People that participate in ungodly, unethical things and the people who say it's okay to do it. Numbers chapter 22. Now, I'm gonna give you a quick overview of this thing with Balaam. So King Balak tries to come and get a prophet who is Balaam to curse Israel. He knows that Balaam has power and, and he, he is opposed to Israel. He's fighting Israel. So he comes up with this idea, I will pay this prophet to curse Israel. So he goes and submits this offer. It's, it's like a bribe. It's, it's saying, hey, dude, you've got serious power. I've seen you prophesy. You've prophesied accurately. Now, please, let us give you money and curse them so that we can defeat them. Now, Balaam, his first big error is that the moment that someone comes your way and offers you something like that, you should never even have a conversation with them. You shouldn't say, let me pray about it. You shouldn't do anything like that. Cut off all evil in your life. Can somebody say amen today? Even the appearance, of, shun the appearance of evil. If something even remotely looks evil, I don't need to go get counseling or have a prayer meeting about something. If you're offering me something that's evil, just do what Nancy Reagan said. Just say no. Just get out of that situation. Get out of it. Run. So Balaam has this offer presented to him, and he's going to go meet with these people. So he's going to go meet and hear more about the offer to curse. Think about the offer. Curse God's people for money? Are you kidding me? So listen, this is a great story, and it shows you how stupid we get when we get caught up with sin and we get caught up with getting our eyes off of Jesus, the simplicity of give me Jesus, it's give me a new house or give me control or give me all the things that I want in life. It says Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the Moabite officials. So he's gonna go hear the offer. It says, but God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So literally Balaam saddles up his donkey 
He's ready to go. And it says that in front of his donkey, the angel of the Lord is standing there with a sword in front of the donkey. This is how much God does not want him to go. Isn't it crazy right now that an angel of the Lord might be standing with sword drawn in front of a road in your life that you're trying to walk down? You better be thankful that God gives us his protection. That's protection from the Lord. Isn't it funny that when we get a closed door in our life, we're like, well, I'll just figure out a way to open it. No, you better leave some of them closed. God is either a way maker or he's not. If a door is closed and God really wants to get me somewhere, I'm going to stay faithful to what God has told me to do. And he will open a door that I can actually walk through. He will open a door that his word unlocks. Better be careful forcing your way. It says God was very angry when he went. The angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in hand, it turned off the road into a field. Donkey's like, nah, uh-uh, nah, nah, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. We gonna go, no, we, we gonna go this way. Literally, this is what happens. He turns. He said, I'm, I'm gonna go with an angel. In a day. That's, that's supernatural. That's scary. He turns, and he's not gonna go there. Now listen to this. It's crazy. Balaam beat it. He beats his donkey in order to punish this donkey to get it back on the road. It says, the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. So think about it. This is very descriptive. Tiny little narrow path, walls on both sides. This is the other way that the donkey has gone to get away from the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord stands in this tiny little narrow walkway. And, and, and the, the donkey don't know what to do. And he's been beaten already for, for avoiding it. So what does he do? He presses up against the wall. And it says he pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So what does Balaam do? He beats the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or the left. Isn't it funny that he gives him three tries? He gives him three tries. God is trying to prevent you. If you've got some sin in your life, if you've got some behavior in your life that needs addressing, do not think that God has not tried to stop you. He has sent people. He has had people talk to you. He's had people set you down. He has had people confront you. And there have been excuses that you've come up with time and time again. That it's been preached to you. It's been sung to you in songs. You've heard it. At one point, it's gone. Now it's so, you've heard it so many times, it's gone one ear out the other. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and take the warning of the Lord. And it says, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam. And he was angry and beat it again with a staff. This may be the funniest thing in the entire Bible that I'm about to read right now. This is real. This actually happened. This actually happened. This may be the funniest thing in the whole entire Bible. It said, then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to ba Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me? Well, I don't know if you sound like Eeyore, but I just kind of imagine, right? Don't you kind of imagine it's an Eeyore sound? He says, 
What have I done to you? A donkey. He's riding the donkey, and the donkey turns his head around at him. He goes, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Now, here's how you know that Balaam is crazy, and sin makes you do ridiculous, absolutely crazy things that make no sense whatsoever because Balaam doesn't go, ah! you've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. He is arguing. The donkey said to Balaam a second time. This is like the nicest donkey in the world. Donkey, he says, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I, he has a, he has a perfectly logical question. He says, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? This is the most logical creature in the history of the universe. He's like, why can't you figure out that if I'm doing this, this means something. But you are so Dead set on doing the wrong that you want to do that you refuse to see the signs. You refuse to even be amazed by the fact that I'm a donkey and I'm talking right now. You're arguing with me. And I like this. I like how, how, how Balaam can't even come back with an answer for this. He says, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And Balaam's like, No. It says, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. And the angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared it. Say, I like the donkey. I just don't like you. <laughs> Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, what did he say? Come on, what did he say? It's the second time we've read that today. That's really important that you take responsibility in your life. If you, if you want any amount of mercy, you better acknowledge that it's your fault. I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men. But speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Isn't it interesting there? God does not want Balaam to go. He doesn't want him to have this conversation. But now he's allowing him to go because God allows us to do whatever we forcibly will. Think about every sentient being that has ever existed Angels, demons, humans, we will all give an account to God. We all have a free will. We're free moral agents to be able to make decisions. God did not create us and pre-program us 
to do everything. Part of his redemptive plan is that moral free agents choose him because he has chosen us first. And we choose him back and serve him and, and, and enjoy our relationship with him. So he lets him go. He says, hey, you're the one that wants to go. That's fine. But you better only say what I want you to say. So now he goes and, and, and to summarize what happens, <laughs> it's crazy. King Balak takes him on the top of three places and, and they get all these sacrifices and, and, and Balaam tries to prophesy for profit against Israel. Every single time he tries to prophesy negatively against Israel, a prophecy of blessing comes up out of his mouth. He cannot do it. The devil cannot curse what God has blessed. The devil cannot curse what God has blessed. Every time, that's why, you know, I know I talk about it, I've talked about it a lot this year, but I'm just gonna tell you, that's why my son Jude is, is so blessed because the devil tried to curse his life, but God is gonna bless him. Anything the devil tried to say against my son, God is going to bless him. Anything the devil has spoken against me, God is gonna bless me for the curse. That's the way it works. And so, <clears throat> so he, three different times, he speaks and tries to Curse Israel, and here's the extremely wicked thing. So finally the king goes, dude, just shut up. This is not working. You're not getting paid. I brought you here three separate occasions, tried to get you to help me. Just leave. Just get out. Just go. So Balaam realizes that as an instrument of God, he is unable to curse Israel effectively. So what does he do in Numbers 31? And this is what Jesus is referring to. It says that Balaam goes back to the king and says, now I can't curse them, but if you can get them to start sinning, if you can get them to start sleeping around and, and participating in all these wild things that they should not participate in, living an immoral, ungodly lifestyle, then they will curse themselves. And that is exactly what happened. Balaam used his teachings and his influence. That's how he eventually got paid. Is, that's exactly what Israel did. He gave the right or the wrong advice to the king and for money. And we see in Numbers 25, it says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate sacrificial meal, bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves, linked themselves to the Baal of Peor, the false god of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must be put to death, must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. Wow. Look at all of that conflict caused by Balaam the teachings of Balaam, where he not only personally was responsible for misleading people, and he was accountable to God himself and ultimately paid the highest price. 
but look at how he led other people astray. And if you're not figuring this out right now, whatever it is that you're struggling with in life, the devil can't touch you when you have the Bible says in Psalm chapter five, it says, surely, O Lord, you will bless the righteous. You will surround them with your favor as with a shield. Think of a shield like an umbrella that protects you from any harmful substances that are coming down. You're protected. You're under an umbrella of protection. But what happens is when the enemy convinces you to live a life of sin and to step outside of God's favor, you willingly step out from under the shield of protection. And you say, oh, what's wrong, what's wrong? Well, get back under the shield. Get back, what is the shield? It says, surely, O Lord, you will bless the what? The what? The righteous. What takes you out of the, from under the favor? Unrighteousness. Adopting your sin, making it a part of your identity, attaching things to your name that do not belong. You've been set free in the name of Jesus. You are free in Christ. Every day is a brand new day in Christ, a brand new day to be free, a brand new day to see victory in your life. First Peter 3.12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. Don't take evil into your new year. There's some people in this room that need to cut off some old friends. There's some people in this room who need to delete some apps off of your phone. There's some people in this room who need to quit certain things in your life and never go back to them again, never touch them again. Don't play with things that will kill you. You know, not long ago, I was talking to my staff about a documentary that was about a man who raised these grizzly bears from the time they were little and he integrated himself into their community. This is like so strange. I mean, integrating yourself into a bear and he's, he's you know, running around, oh, he's, he's acting like a bear and they would come and stick their paw on his head and he stick their, his hand, I mean, he kind of acted like he was one of them and all this stuff and everyone thought this guy's like the coolest guy in the world. So he comes back home, he lives there. He lives with bears and acts like a bear. You're like, oh, that's sweet. Well, not really, well, listen to the end of the story. Uh, you know, and he, so eventually he goes back home and he brings his girlfriend. He's like, hey, you got to see these bears. This is great. You know, you just, you just crawl around and just act like me and it's going to be fantastic. Well, these bears just eat them. They just completely, I mean, you're like, what's the end? That's the end. They get eaten by bears. It's don't play with something that can kill you. Just this week. I was thinking about what I told my staff in this message, in this message, because just this week, another story came out of a man who rescued a grizzly who was like gonna die and rescued this grizzly when it was three months old and raised it and, and had it like as a pet and was constantly, it just ate him. That's what sin does. Sin tries to make itself friendly with you so that you will interact and you will play around with something that will kill you. Unless you realize there are some things that you just cut off in the name of Jesus and you never go back again. You never touch them again. I don't think there's a lot of people who say, but I just, I'm just addicted to touching a hot frying pan. It just, I just love it. You don't ever have to touch a hot frying pan again. In Jesus' name. And if you were wise, you wouldn't. And there are other things in your life that may not feel the same way, but they're the causing the same result to your soul.
And they need to be dealt with in your life so that you can move forward with authority. First Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. Psalm 37 says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They were always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Who? The righteous. Confront sin in your life today. Confront things that you say, well, they're a problem. They're, it's sin. Confront sin in your life today or it will get confronted by God. And sometimes it will be embarrassing. Sometimes it will, it will cost you more than you could ever imagine if you do not confront it. Confront it today. And I'm gonna tell you something. This says that you'll be blessed. God has given you the ability to flourish in the midst of adversity. As a matter of fact, adversity doesn't mean that you're no longer blessed. It's a sign that you are blessed, <laughs> that you can flourish in the middle of the adversity. Can someone say amen today? The devil can't touch what God has blessed and only you can choose to step out from under the favor and protection of righteousness. And when we step out from under God's protection, we have to change our mind. That's why the message is called, I change my mind. You gotta change your mind. You gotta come to a point in your life where you change your mind and you know what you do? You, you gotta not just change, you gotta confront. You have to confront issues. That's why sometimes when we take our sin, and, I, and we do, do this at conferences sometimes, we take our sin, we take the thing that we're trouble, troubled by, we write it on a piece of paper and we burn it. That's great, it's a, it's a great visual, but it is a little bit misleading. Here's what, here's what we should think about more than that. We should think about doing that every single day because it's something that must be confronted every day. You don't form a habit at one conference. You form a habit by doing that thing every single day. When you take a push-up challenge, what do you do? You wake up the first day, what's the challenge? I don't know, is it 25 a day, is it 50, is it 100? If it's 100 and you can only do 10, then you've got to do 10 sets of 10 or something to get to the goal, but then you do it the next day, it's a little bit easier. You do it the next day, it's a little bit easier, but it's something that must be confronted every single day. You say, well, what about deliverance? God has delivered us through the blood of Jesus. We are set free in the name of Jesus. Now it's time every day to enact our freedom through the power of positive habits that we form in our life, positive disciplines that we form in our life, setting before us every single day the things that we know we are to do and confronting the things that we will not allow in our life. We must adopt habits that nurture and cultivate godly behavior and absolutely reject and denounce sinful behavior in our life. We must point our finger at it and say, no, I will not allow it in my life. I will not, I don't care how cute that little grizzly cub is, I ain't gonna play with it because it's gonna grow up to be something that's big and even more dangerous than it is right now. We need to repent, don't just attain, change, adopt new habits, drop old ones. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can somebody give God a great praise today? If you believe the word of God is true. I speak hope over your life today in Jesus' name. I speak over every kind of addiction 
every, if it's pornography, addiction to pornography, to sexual thoughts, any, any habit or behavior or mentality or proclivity, if it's confusion about sexual orientation, if it's racism or hatred, if it's uh, greed or lying or jealousy, I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter to God. God has given you freedom over every manner of sin in your life through the person of Jesus Christ. Now you have to confront the issues that are in your life and declare freedom and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Form new habits in Jesus' name and walk out those habits. Change your heart change your mind in Jesus' name. If everyone could bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're here today and you need Jesus to become the Lord of your life, no one is looking around. I'm gonna ask you right now all over this room, those of you that are watching online as well, I'm gonna ask you when I count to three to lift your hand, also to type in the chat if you're watching online. I'm lifting my hand. I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Even if you're watching this later, if it's not on Sunday morning, type it right there in the chat. It's a great testimony just as it is in this room when people lift their hands. And if you need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, say, I want, I want you to be the Lord of my life, not just my Savior, but to take lordship, control of my life. On three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand. One, the Bible says, now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit for this very moment. Three, hands up all over the building, if that's you, all over the building, every single section, there's multiple, multiple hands. That'd be dozens of people this room lifting their hands. I believe people are doing that online as well. God is moving. Could we pray this prayer together out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life with you, Lord Jesus. I will never be the same. Be my savior. I can't save myself. Truly be my Lord. I need to be under your authority. Thank you for what you did on the cross for me. Dying for my sins. From this day forward, I will live for you. I changed my mind, Lord, and I'm never going back again. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a great praise. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.